Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brothers and sisters, welcome to today's chapter of the Big Picture Show here live on Radio Islam International. I'm your host for today, Mustafa Dasot, standing in for A.B. Dalji, and a special welcome to all our listeners on Radio Al-Ansar, mainly in Durban and Peter Maddensburg, and all those listeners on live stream. Well, I'm here, South Africans, or my fellow listeners, majority of you are South Africans, of course. There's a lot of doom and gloom happening right now. And, um, of course, uh, the one central problem that that affects every one of us is this menace of load shedding. And it all started off back in 2008 when we were told that South Africa's power stations do not have enough capacity to meet the demand of a growing population and the, the rise of urban areas, of the urban population, as well as that the power stations that we have need to be jacked up. Bear in mind that we had world-class power stations until then. And so we went along with the narrative, and that was under the Becky government, should I say, not under Zuma, although most of the rot happened under his watch. But it started off with the Becky government, and it turns out so five years prior to that, or six years prior to that, he was informed, sorry, no, what am I saying? He became president in 1999. So shortly after he became president, so it was a good maybe eight, nine years prior to that, he was informed about the uh, power situation and something needs to be done and the government needs to spend on this critical infrastructure need. And it was overlooked. Apparently the person who was in charge who then became his deputy between 2005 and 2008, was Pumzile And, of course, sometime in 2008, Becky was unceremoniously recalled and replaced by Khalima Motlante, who only served a short time until April 2009, when Jacob Zuma was elected president of the Republic. And, of course, came in, the Guptas with state capture and uh, came in a whole lot of other elements that we didn't know of state capture until it's come out recently. Yes, the Zondo Commission did reveal quite a bit and exposed a lot, uh, sorry, sorry, a lot of wrongdoings at ESCOM, but that was still a bit of what was the reality. And the reality is, of course, what has come out recently in the past two weeks with Andre Dereta now ex-CEO of ESCOM. Of course, the conspiracy theory side of it uh, leaves a lot to be... <laughs> In fact, somebody just sent me this this morning, and I think I should just read it out quickly. Uh, it was on another chat. And I'm looking at this. It's posted by some guy in December 2000... Uh, sorry, in December... On the 26th of December 2022, by name of Kenny Newman. He says the theft... Or privatization of ESCOM is now complete. This is what the rater. This is why the rater resigned. Uh, you must know he shortly he resigned shortly before that. Said that he will work till the end of March 2023. Uh, so this was in response to the He completed the job he was appointed for, destroying ESCOM. What this guy is saying is all a bunch of lies. Their plan has got nothing to do with saving ESCOM for the people's sake. They are busy stealing ESCOM 
from the people. This guy, now referring to some this American whose videos have gone viral, you know, called K.W. Muller, who is an independent chief restructuring officer who is based in Dubai, was appointed by the Rothschilds to develop a plan for the unbundling and selling off of ESCOM. He has just admitted that ESCOM is no longer in the hands of South Africans, but will now be directly controlled by the Rothschilds. Just in the end, the South African people have no idea what is coming. Well, 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 all well and good, right? I'm not dismissing this in its entirety. But the reality is that was now late December. Exactly two months later, Andre Tereta gives stunning revelations of what's been happening in ESCOM. And to the extent of it, and people are still riding the back of this, that it's all planned. Even if it was all planned for privatization, I say, call the bluff. Privatize it. Or they said, oh, you're going to pay for power like you never paid before. As it is, we are paying for power like we never paid before. People can't afford to pay power anymore. And forget paying for the power. What about those that are using generators and alternative power sources? Now, let me give you an example. I know of somebody who's got a manufacturing entity in Johannesburg, food manufacturing entity, right, that requires two 650 kV generators to be in use to power up their plant. Right now, with 10 hours of load shedding a day, okay, they may have reduced this weekend, but on average, we've seen from late June last year till now, 10 hours of load shedding a day, and those generators only came in online a few weeks ago. So I asked them, what is your diesel bill like? Or what does it cost to run those generators per hour? They said 10,000 and an hour. 10 hours a day, that's 100,000 and a day. Times 30 days in a month, that's 3 million and a month. And I asked them, okay, would you see any drop in your electricity bill? Nothing. So please, all those people who are making these things, as it is, we are facing enough misery with ESCOM, that we are making all these things about the Rothschilds, and that we're not saying the Rothschilds are clean people, they are evil people, we know that. But stop uh, rubbing salt in the wood, if I may put it to you that way. And accept the fact that we have a reality situation here that is warning. Just yesterday, my insurance broker told me that already it is true that insurance companies are sane. And I'll I'll just read out the one part of her message to me. Um, Sorry, I just want to get that to that email quickly. I'm just trying to find it here on my computer. It says here, yes, dear Mustafa, um, in response to your email, right, there are going to be even more changes in the market, right, and have already been such as exclusions of grid failure and power surge due to load shedding. You're going to see higher premiums in vehicle theft because of the increase of vehicle thefts, intense storm damages, hail, looting, fires on the rise. So it's not only just ESCOM. It's, it's, it's a problem. And, of course, you look at it from the insurance company's point of view. They're no angels either. We had the mass looting in, April, uh, in July 2021 that, that impacted 50 to 60 billion rand of damages on the South African economy. Right? 
Then you had the flooding that hit KZN or Durban and surrounding areas in April and May 2022. As if that was not enough, then we had flooding in parts of Mpumalanga, parts of Gauteng, Limpopo as well, and, and northern KZN. What happened recently in Newcastle, Stanerton, um, etc. Why, why these floodings are taking place in these cities? It's not because of uh, yes, of course, all catastrophes, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, typhoons, right? Uh, uh, these sort of cyclones with heavy rains, etc. Volcano eruptions, tsunamis, all happen by the will of Allah Ta'ala. We know that. But exacerbated to the nature that we are seeing it here in South Africa, what is causing it? Why are these towns being flooded? It's because of the complete breakdown of service delivery. We have municipalities that have become municipalities to those that run it. And you are seeing the sort of thing. Because of the breakdown of service delivery, infrastructure is not maintained. Stormwater drains are never cleared out. They are, they are filled to the brim with muck and dirt. They are clogged, choked. So when you have these heavy rain downpours coming, those stormwater outlets do not give way for the rainwater to flow through. Hence, you have flooding in these areas. Or you have the breakdown of whatever it is. And then you got people who say, bring up this sort of story. It, it is rubbing salt into the wound. We have a serious problem in South Africa. And if anything of under the Reuters interview did, uh, with ENCA, again with the follow-up articles and the press conference that he's had, does not concern you. Okay, let me not go dramatic and do not say, sound like an alarmist and worry you and put you in security. If it does not concern you, then there's a problem. And on top of it, we saw, have you seen the ANC ever mobilize in the way it did? Recently, after Andre Dereta's interview, the way they mobilized to close ranks to defend their party. Forget defending their leader. I'm talking defending the party like how they did maybe since the fall of apartheid. Have you ever seen it happening? No. Even during Jacob Zuma's time with the words, yes, they close ranks as NC members to defend their party president as their leader. But I'm talking as defending the party. Figuele and Bolula's uh, statements. The ANC does not corrupt people. The ANC is not corrupt. Andre Dereta has dented our ANC image. Then you get Praveen Goran stepping into the forest to say, hey, Andre Dereta, don't meddle in politics. Stop. Your job is to stop load shedding. And a few others as well. Some of us say, oh, this is a right-wing, uh, you know, he mustn't come up with right-wing views here. Others are saying, oh, this is... A deliberate ploy by the DA to have underrated there to sabotage ESCOM to make the NC look bad. You'll get a whole lot of other nonsense as well. We're talking about the reality of the situation. And so, breaking news yesterday, well, it was sometime last night, I think, by ENCA, to say that they, and other media as well, that ANC serves legal papers on former ESCOM CEO, underrated over explosive corruption allegations. The party demands answers from both Dereta and ESCOM within seven days. What's my reaction to that? Well, I personally cannot wait to see the discovery process of this and the testimony 
of senior ANC politicians under oath. Let the dirty linen come out. That's my reaction to it. Then it turns out so that, was it yesterday? There was a headline, or in the week, uh, yeah, it was actually yesterday. There was an exclusive on News24. Of course, it's for subscribers only, but the headline is very telling. The Rater briefed Brigadier, Commissioner and President's Advisor on ESCOM corruption. Now, what would be the reaction to this from the ANC, um, from the ANC, uh, uh, what you call it, apologists? To say, oh, again, this is harming the ANC image. It's making the ANC look bad. Well, and you know, this is a white media publication and this is, uh, you know, uh, the media is against the ANC. Well, I've got something to say about that. Did you know, I'm just trying to find it here, uh, it's somewhere here on my phone, just bear with me please, that the last ANC, um, I'm just trying, that the last ANC elective conference that took place in NASDAQ in December 2022, right, received 15 million rand from an, a Russian-linked mining company run by a chap called Victor Wechselberg, right, and he wasn't the only one to give the ANC money, okay, to its, uh, what they call, Bato Bato Trust, okay. Apparently, there was also a donation of 2 million rand to the party. From who? From Nespers. Who's Nespers? Nespers is the owner of News24. I'm reading this thing in front of me. So, whoever says that this thing about... Uh, that when the articles come from these media publications, is there to then the ANC image, but the ANC is very happy to take the money from the owner of these media houses. I'm just trying to get a point. And then, of course, it's come out in another publication, I think it was independent online, if I'm not mistaken, that, it, and I think this is today, I think this article was published early this morning or late last night, that the Rater briefed the top cop about ESCOM corruption. And it says that the former CEO, Andre the Rater, has already briefed National Polish Commissioner Fani Masemola about allegations of corruption and alleged cartels working out of Mpumalanga. Members of the ANC and President Ramaphosa have called on the Rater to back up his allegations, which he made on, on that interview with ENCA with evidence, Right. So there you go. You are seeing something coming out there, right? So for all those who scream conspiracy at every turn, I'm not saying there is no such thing as a conspiracy behind a situation. I believe one of the biggest uh, uh, problems that have affected the Muslim Ummah, talk about 9-11, what happened that day, I believe there is a major conspiracy behind such a thing. So we're not dismissing it in its entirety. But not you cannot shout at every turn. At the end of the day, these are realities that we need to take cognizance of, and these are the realities of what's happening to us in this country. Then you get a guy like Davi Roth, who is known as one of the top chief economists in the country, who said that South Africans should be worried. I said earlier, South Africans should be concerned. And he said that we should be worried about the country's deteriorating institutions and governmental service levels. Okay? He said that the country is falling back in many fields, including economic activity and safety. South Africa is falling behind the rest of the world in economic growth, how much electricity is produced, law and order. 
right? He added about the FATF, Financial Action Task Force, uh, grey listing uh, action on uh, grey listing South Africa, which President Sadam Ramaphosa and the Finance Minister Enoch Odongwana take it very lightly. And and the reality is that at one stage we were considered a first world country in many aspects. 20 or 30 years ago, we are now a middle to low income country. In fact, I think he's just been, uh, and he says that at this rate, South Africa is heading to become just another poor country at the southern tip of Africa. I think, I think, let's be realistic, we are a failed state. We are a failed state. If anything of those revelations, again, did not wake you up to tell you that how these cartels operate, what they're doing. For example, take a, a, a maintenance guy there on the floor and just take a screwdriver when nobody's looking and go to a gearbox of one of the uh, of the generating units and 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 smash the glass where the where the oil level show and let the oil leak out and the gearbox has to stop and there comes in the maintenance company to do its job. So to tell you that that's just one part of it. Then the other one about the conveyor belt system that moves coal from one station to another that. It has to be it's cut or damaged so the co- conveyor belt cannot work. So what comes in? The transport companies that have got the contracts to move the coal. These are signs of a failed state. And then, of course, you've got businesses that comply with the law, even if they're controversial businesses that comply with the letter of the law, such as this game. Absolutely controversial. Pro-Zionist, especially its CEO, Ivan Zoltzman. And he's made no secret about it, right? When they want to comply with the letter of the law, such as the letter of his which leaked to the, to the public last year about not employing any more white managers anymore, and that if whoever wants to employ needs to, or sorry, apply white staff, and whoever wants to, whichever managers want to do so, need to take consent from him, right? I'll catch him hiding. He's complying with the law. The law is there. He's complying with the law. The law is there. It's an un- it's an unfair law, but he's complying with the law and he's catching a hiding. So what happened? The white people decided to boycott this camp, especially the Afrikaner people. And you know what? The latest revelation yesterday, ESCOM has lost, uh, sorry, sorry, to boycott this camp. What happened yesterday? This camp announced, or it's come out that 5.2 billion rand has been lost since that letter has been leaked to the public. Anyway, dear listeners, we're taking a short break and we'll resume shortly. Uh, assalamu alaikum, dear listeners. Welcome back. You know, I, I just want to uh, just touch on something that just came across my screen right now. And, um, you know, we keep on hearing this coming out, these narratives coming out that, um, you know, when we say, but the, the, but the current government is an ANC government. And we kept on being told about the separation of 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 the uh, we need to separate what is the South African government and what is the ANC and uh, you know and do not conflate the two. That's um, funny enough, you know. Uh, when it when it comes to matters of convenience, then um, then it said no, but this is a government position, uh, position and that's an ANC position. For example, such as the when the ANC talks on the uh, on the down downscaling of relations with Israel. And then when you're trying to look at it from the government point uh, uh, aspect, things carry on as normal. Yes, there may be a bit of uh, 
less staff or what have you in the South African embassy in, in Tel Aviv, etc. But trade relations, etc. carry on. Then you get this part of uh, happening that, you know, um, you know, especially the uh, the apologists that will come out and say, but you can't blame the uh, government's failures on the ANC. Right? Uh, that is the government. But then again, we ask the question, who is the government? Who's running the government? Who's the party in power that's controlling the government? The, the national government and eight out of the nine provinces are still in the hands of the ANC. And none of them are coalitions to my knowledge. But then you get uh, the foreign policy, which again, which is one of those things that are always brought into question. Then you get Figueroa and Balula saying, but South Africa will not take sides in the Russia-Ukraine war. But wait a minute, he is not in government anymore. He is the Secretary General and he has to be the full-time Secretary General of the ANC. And uh, it's convenient I'm just trying to make, uh, you know, bring something to your attention. Now, how convenient it is that when the ANC decides to talk as the government, then it's fine. But then when the government slips up, then it's not the ANC to blame. So something to think about. And, and, and that too, by extension, that the constitution we have gives rights to refugees. Now, I'm not talking about opening borders. I'm against open borders. But you must have seen a lot of reports in the media, especially in the past two weeks, about these 22 Afghanis seeking asylum in South Africa. So much so that the Home Affairs Minister, Aaron, Dr. Aaron Motsoledi, who opposed the, uh, opposed the put for asylum, saying that our sovereignty as a country is being abused. Right? He says right from the beginning, they've been insulting us and they still continue to do so. He's referring to the courts. Then he says the court ruling is insisting that we must allow them to come in and apply for asylum. But wait a minute. Uh, these are refugees and they're coming in for a reason. And then, of course, the media is not telling us and they're not played fair at all because these are Afghanis. Remember, these are not white Ukrainians. Right? <laughs> so these are Afghanis that are coming in. And why are they coming into South Africa? And yesterday, Brother Avi Dalji phoned onto SAFM in the morning between 8 and 9 on the Stephen Crotter show and mentioned this and said, but wait a minute, these people, uh, the, there's a narrative going on there that the people, that these 22, uh, you know, because of the Taliban, etc., and that, the, you, know, it's, it's, uh, you know, if we give them uh, asylum here, then the Taliban are going to come and wreak havoc here in this country. Uh, etc. Trying to make it look like that, you know, it's so dangerous that this 20, giving asylum to these 22 people is so dangerous that it's going to really cause anarchy in this country, right? But what they're not telling you is that these 22 people that are seeking asylum, why are they seeking asylum? It's because they are of those people who worked with the Americans to overthrow, listen to this, they worked with the Americans to overthrow or to allow the, the government of the day to fall. That was, you know, uh, the, the government of the day under what was Ashraf Ghani, if I'm not mistaken, in sometime in late 2021, to allow the government of the day to fall, right? And for the Taliban to return to power. However, the Taliban should have been grateful for these people for allowing that situation to happen, but... It seems like they don't care. So these people who were promised by the Americans that you will not be left behind, that we will give you a sanctuary, 
in America have been abandoned. Now, these are these. Are we talking specifically these 22 people? However, there have been hundreds of thousands that were promised were, uh, by the Americans that they will give they'll be given safe passage to America for what they've done. And America took in a few hundred or a couple or a small paltry amount of a couple thousand. That's it. And the rest of them have been abandoned, neglected. And these are the 22 people who are here seeking asylum. They tried elsewhere. They tried to Qatar. I'm not sure where about where else. And they were denied safe passage. So now they've come here because, you know, this is Africa and you can come throughout Africa and right to the border of South Africa. And if you cross the border illegally, you are in South Africa. And we know the two popular gateway points is from the Limpo, uh, from the north in the Limpopo River, which is around your Bait Bridge, and again on the east part, which is on the borders of Mozambique. So the thing is that they are not saying, the media is not saying, wait, wait a minute, these people were neglected and abandoned by the Americans, and, and the Americans are making it our problem to take care of them, which is very unfair. Why should, the America, why should it become a South African problem? The Americans must, it's only 22 people, out of a population of 350 million, you know, you want to deprive 22 million people who you promised to look after safe passage. So that's what's really happening with these 22 Afghans. And uh, the New Yorker magazine had an interesting article on the 20th of December to say that it was titled The Afghans American, uh, America Left Behind, the U.S. Promised Protection to the Local to the sorry to the locals it relied on during the war when it withdrew it abandoned thousands of them to the taliban now uh, it's a very long article but i'm going to post it on my facebook page under my name mustafa darsot and on my twitter handle at mm darsot for you to read uh, so when you get a chance have a look at that now moving on to palestine and we've seen that uh, in fact interesting enough there was a very uh, surprising standpoint coming from the Americans about um, apparently this and this is a is, is a fierce right-wing character who uh, obviously wants a complete annihilation of the Palestinians and I'm just trying to find it uh, um, he um, sorry just bear with me please so this guy said that um, he said that the, he's a, he's a right-wing politician and he said that he wants the Palestinians to be totally annihilated. And, and some of them in the American State Department are actually saying that, uh, sorry, but that's wrong. You actually, yes, it came out on Thursday. Sorry, but that's wrong. What you're saying is wrong. And uh, we cannot accept it. Right? So you've seen some people, what a conscious, using their conscience a bit, but... Again, it's still a little too late. So we have this thing coming out about Christian Palestinians. Everybody, when you look at Palestine and what Palestine is standing for, and the people of Palestine stand for, only look at it from a Muslim point of view. But if people forget that not all Palestinians are Muslim. They are also Christian Palestinians. Yes, they make up a minority. Some say only 10%, some say 25%. Right? It's somewhere between 10 and 25%. Right? But the fact remains that they are Christian Palestinians, right? And then you had that there's this one documentary which, uh, sorry, interview, 
which again I'll post on my Twitter handle and my Facebook page, titled Love as Resistance, Christian Palestinians Speak to the World. So it says that in 2009, Palestinian Christian leaders gathered to draft what they call the Kairos Palestine Document, which is a manifesto to the Christian world calling for an end to Israeli occupation. Thirteen years later, one of its authors, human rights activist Rifat Kassis, speaks to the Middle East Eye about the document's enduring message of faith, hope and love. It's an interview, so which I will play on, which I will post onto my uh, Twitter handle and Facebook page. If possible, I'll play it, uh, on Radio Lansar after the 12 o'clock news, if time permits. But then coming to that about the Christian part, we have the biggest character here in South Africa, who leads a party known as the ACTP by the name of Kenanesho, right, and. Um, who, you know, who obviously makes a, you know, who says, let us be on the right side of history when it comes to Israel and Palestine. Who obviously comes out with a very pro-Israel standpoint of view. And, of course, it's not only him, it's also the former Chief Justice. Right? The former Chief Justice, Mohen Mohen. Right? So, according to the ACDP, it says, I wish to make it clear that the ACDP is guided by a biblical worldview. Underscoring this view is the recognition of our Judeo-Christian historical background. It bears repeated, our Messiah Jesus Christ was born a Jew. <laughs> While those with different views for ours draw inspiration from books like Karl Marx, Stalin, Mao Zedong, and Charles Darwin. We would, in the ACDP, draw inspiration and guidance from our holy book, the Bible. Really? Then what are these Christian Palestinians talking about? Because, according to many, Jesus was born, was not born as a Jew, but he was born, well, one can say Palestinian, because he is of the native indigenous son of the soil of that area. Right? So where do these characters come out with this? And the ACDP needs to lay, take a listen and, and answer the question. Then why are Palestinian Christians calling for an end to Israeli occupation? Because if this was the doctrine, the real doctrine, why would they be opposed to it? They would welcome it. Which obviously gives credence to the fact that the ACDP is backed by the right-wing evangelicals of America, who openly support the state of Israel at all costs. And these are the people that support Donald Trump. That's why you saw Donald Trump trigger happy during his time as president, went and relocated, recognized Jerusalem as the capital, and relocated the U.S. Embassy. Makes you think, right? Well, speaking of this, uh, speaking of Trump and company, you know he's making a comeback to the U.S. elections for 2024. He wants to be the presidential candidate. And uh, and uh, he's actually said, I think in order to allow his campaign to continue, he's actually seeking a delay of six months in his New York fraud case with the state of New York. 
But then they said there's this thing coming out that as we see this new round of presidential elections getting underway in America, much of the world will look on with exasperation at the possibility of yet another major shift in America's domestic and foreign policy. The mere thought of a Trump comeback in 2024 is nerve-wracking for Washington's allies, considering his vengeful eagerness to, once again, wreak havoc in America's democracy and its role in the world. No wonder most states reluctant to support Washington's policy towards Russia or China for fear of another radical change of policy under the next administration as had happened after every administration in the past two or three decades. We've seen from the Bush, Bush administration's imperialistic and messianic overreach to Obama's pragmatic realism, to Trump's America first nationalism, and lastly, Biden's return to strategic posturing, the dizzying change of doctrines has underlined what they call the unreliability, right, which is uh, in leading shiftness in America's leadership. So this currently this whole thing where it's where they say that America's whole thing is, uh, you know, especially with these leaders coming about, right? Uh, that you seen this thing moving around like a yo-yo or like a pendulum, right? So you have this strategic erraticism constitution of a major departure from America's steadiness during the Cold War, right? It also contrasts sharply with the autocratic but stable regimes in Russia and China, which have been largely predictable since their resurgence at the turn of the 21st century to basically reclaim their superpower status. World leaders need not wonder who will be in charge in Moscow or Beijing coming the next year because we know those leaderships are under Putin and under Xi Jinping, but wish they knew who will win next year's America's elections. And that is more unpredictable. More unpredictable than ESCOM, <laughs> if one wants to put it that way. Right? And um, there, was, uh, there was this... Uh, the now, now, currently, there's two Republican frontrunners. Donald Trump, who obviously announced his candidacy late last year. And there's this guy called Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida. I think he's of Cuban background because the Cuban-Americans who are considered as, who are like honorary whites, and especially these Cuban-Americans who are Republican, are more right-wing than the white men themselves. Right? And he's a rising star of the party. Apparently, he's to announce his bid, right? And it's expected to, and he's expected to do so within the next few weeks. Right? And then, of course, you've got Joe Biden, who is, of course, uh, expected to run for a second term. Okay. Uh, people worry about his dementia or his senile ways at this age of 86, okay? Um, and what will happen, sorry, to lead through, uh, sorry, that's what will happen when his second term ends, right, at the age of 86. And whether he will call it a day and let some young telling Democrat take over, maybe his deputy Kamala Harris. So this is what you've seen with the Americans right now. But then there's a, another contender that's thrown their hat in the ring. And uh, her name is Nikki Haley. That lady, you know, of Punjabi descent, 
who served as the UN ambassador, America, uh, America's ambassador to United Nations. Well, she said that she seeks support from the Republicans because they're tired of losing. So she's also another presidential candidate and is taking on her former superior Donald Trump head on. And she says that uh, I seek support from rank and file Republicans who are tired of losing. And it's no big secret who um, Nikki Haley's loyalty lies with. It lies with the right-wing establishment of the United States. It lies with the state of Israel or the great Israelite. And it also, her loyalties lie with the RSS and the Modi regime. So imagine if Nikki Haley becomes president of America in November next year, which is still a year, 10 months away, that Modi will be very happy because he'll have one charo called Rishi Sunak, who is the Prime Minister of England, and have Nikki Haley as the President of the United States. Whoa, what an accomplishment. Uh, for those who think about Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, by the way, is anti-Modi, anti-RSS. But she loves the state of Israel. So that's what you have there with these sort of leaders. And speaking of leaders, you know you have clowns amongst leaders, right? We've seen one from the, well, he was, he was known as a clown beforehand, but a comedian as uh, Vladim, Vladimir Zelensky, who is the president of Ukraine. But you've seen him in full force for one year now, right? And the type of drama queen clown who obviously is capitalizing on the attention and the support of the war on Ukraine by Russia, and is manipulating it to his advantage. He's no angel. Some say he's an ardent Zionist. Yes, he's Jewish, but alpha, because there's also Zionist oligarchs, which I've spoken about before on A, which that put him to the, to the maximum. One of them is uh, Roman Abramovich. The, well, I'm not sure if he's still the owner of Chelsea or through his trust owns Chelsea Football Club, but you have those, and he's, by the way, he's the second richest man in Israel because he holds an Israeli passport. But you have clowns of leaders throughout the world. Some of them have been head of state. Some of them have been second in charge. Some of them are ministers. As I said, you have Zelensky. In America, it was Donald Trump. But then president, now soon to be, wanted to be president again. In Britain, you had Boris Johnson. Coming to the South African context, you have uh, currently the SG, Fikile Mbulula, right? And you have Reverend Kenneth Mashu of the ACTP. Because if you hear from them and, and sadly, they grasp for reality and what they talk and their knowledge, their general knowledge, they are clowns, buffoons, if one wants to put it that way. Because what they say, their statements don't make any sense. But then you've got this clown who has been part of a recycling process by the name of Dmitry Medvedev. Now, who is Dmitry Medvedev? For those who remember, he was served at one time as president of Russia after Putin's first two terms as president. Then he served as president of Russia and then Putin came back as president of Russia and he served as prime minister. But when he was president of Russia, Putin was prime minister, right? So uh, that's where the recycling comes in. And of course, Putin managed to change the constitution a couple of years ago to see him that 
that he can seek another term and he can remain in power up to as far as 2036. That's another 13 years from now. So you have Dmitry Medvedev, who I see as a clown. Right? You know, uh, why I say a clown? Because he is obviously mastering propaganda. He is like the spokesperson for the government, although the Kremlin has its official spokespeople, right? But he is... He says things and he's been saying things that obviously you wonder sometimes whether you want to laugh or scream. So I'll give you one or two examples of what Dmitry Medvedev has said. Back in July last year, yeah, July 2022, he warned the United States that at any attempts by Western countries to punish a nuclear power such as Russia for the war in Ukraine risked endangering humanity. So what did Medvedev had to say. So he says the idea of punishing a country that has one of the largest nuclear potentials is absurd, right? And potentially poses a threat to the existence of humanity. All right? So what he's trying to say is that he says, don't mess with us as a nuclear power because you know what will happen? We'll press the nuclear button. Right? Then, of course, well, he's writing this. He says the entire U.S. history since the times of subjugation of the native, native Indian population represents a series of bloody wars. Right? Then he's made reference to, obviously, Japan, Korea, Vietnam, World War II, etc. Then he's asking the question, was anyone held responsible for those crimes? What war, war tribunal condemned the sea of blood spilled by the USA there? Right? And he goes on to say that, and then he's making reference to a, an apocalypse. Remember, this was all in June, July last year. That the U.S. and its useless stooges should remember the words of the Bible. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. So that the great day of his wrath, meaning he is the Lord's wrath, doesn't come to their home one day. So that's what he said last year in July. Then in January this year, that was basically, what, six weeks ago, I think, sometime mid-January, yes, right? Dmitry Medvedev again has warned NATO that Moscow's defeat in Ukraine could trigger a nuclear war. So what did he say exactly? Now, you must know he's posting all these things on Telegram, right, which is the equivalent of WhatsApp. Right. and, of course, on other social media platforms, and has the ad hoc co uh, press conference here. He says, the defeat of a nuclear power in a conventional war may trigger nuclear war. Basically, he's, trying to, he's making threats. So he says that nuclear powers have never lost major conflicts on which their fate depends. So what he's trying to say is that we will never, we will never lose this war. And then you must know that the Moscow's doctrine allows for a nuclear attack after aggression against the Russian Federation with conventional weapons when the very existence of the state is threatened. So this is what he said last month. And you must know he presents himself, he's only 57 years old, so he presents himself as this reformer who was ready to work with the United States to liberalize Russia and recast himself as the most publicly hawkish member of Putin's circle. Now, currently, he serves as the vice chairman of the Russian Security Council. Who's the chairman? Vladimir Putin. So he is Putin's chumcher. As I said, he was involved in this recycling process, 
that. But as I said, he said something of this sort in July last year. Six weeks ago, in the middle of January, he said this. And now, just recently, as far as, what was it, a week ago, he says that the only way for Russia to ensure lasting peace with Ukraine is to push back the borders of hostile states, even as far as the frontiers of NATO member Poland. Right? Okay, as I said, he is the deputy chairperson of Russia's Security Council. Again, he made these comments on a telegram message, which was obviously to commemorate the one year, what they call the special military operation of uh, uh, Russia's special military operation to protect Russian speakers and its own in people and its own security, uh, the Russian speaking people in Ukraine and its own security or sovereignty. So he went on to say that victory will be achieved. We all want it to happen as soon as possible, and that day will come. Right? He predicted that tough negotiations with Ukraine and the West would culminate in some kind of agreement. In other words, they will bow down to us. Right? So this is the clown. This is the clown, Dmitry Medvedev. And it's his final word to say that is why it is so important to achieve all the goals of the special military operation to push back the borders that threaten our country as far as possible, even they are the borders of Poland. So this is what you have. This is what you have to deal with. <laughs> you have these clowns that make these sort of threats to say, listen, you support in Ukraine, you supply them weapons. Remember, this is going to lead to nuclear, nuclear war. Unfortunately, our people who are gullible and, can, and cannot see that this is just propaganda will take this literally and say, you know what? No, this must, must stop. We want nuclear war. Yes, we all want the war to stop. The war is bad. It's affecting the world economy. But at the, at the same time, we have common sense in us. And the last thing is that we must stop being gullible. Jazakallah, dear listeners. Jazakallah to Brother Yazdan, the engineer at the Studio Lens, for putting the show together. And inshallah, we'll catch up next week um, on the Big Picture Show. And for those listeners on Radio Al-Ansar, well, I'll catch up with you after the 12 o'clock news. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.